0: is out of Matthew chapter-, Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen, you may be seated. This passage in Scripture had had me befuddled as a child for a long time. Matter of fact, and with the passage in John where it says, "It's better to not see and believe. And to be blind and believe than to see and not believe. And so I was thinking I'll put this with that one and maybe I should be blind. I'm glad I'm not. I'm thankful I'm not. And I'm glad that I've learned a little more what this passage was talking about. And I do hope that you're not like someone I asked this week if Jesus was literal in this passage. Do you think he literally means if your right eye is causing you to sin that you should pluck it out? You know? Well, I'm going to give you a little simple breakdown on this, this, what he's saying here. The word if. That's what it all is contingent upon. If your eye can cause you to sin, you need to get rid of it. If your hand can cause you to sin, you need to get rid of it. I promise you, your eye has no power to cause you to sin. Your hand has no power to cause you to sin. You tell your eye what to look at and you tell your hand what to do. It doesn't tell you. But if it's in control of your life, it means you're not in control of it. And you better get rid of it. (laughs) So if something's controlling you, get rid of it. And it's causing sin in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. But... We miss that in this passage because we want to go, oh, you know, I see a lot of things I shouldn't, I do a lot of things I shouldn't with my hands, I should just, you know, and and we think because we want to feel guilty and shameful. It's not about that. Jesus is giving us a principle and we're going to look at that today. And the question that he, He wants us to answer is who or what runs your life? What is running your life? Is it your body that runs your life? Like an eye or a hand or a foot, it does seem kind of strange if he would say, "If your hair causes you to sin, you should shave it off." You know that would seem like, "Okay, that's easy because it'll grow back, right?" Like Samson. Maybe it's your feelings that run your life. You know, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I'm I'm depressed. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. That's what's running my life. Our emotions, if you will. But it's according to Scripture, it's your thought life that runs it. Your thinking. It's what you believe that makes you do what you do. You say, well, I believe a lot of things. I don't do them. Belief is not something where you kind of believe it's going to be sunny. Or you hope it's going to be sunny. You can look outside and know it. Belief has a deeper meaning than today's society would have you believe. If you believe something according to Scripture's word of belief and believe in it, it means you base your behavior on that belief. You base what you do on it. In other words, your actions show your belief more than your words do. Your actions will always show your belief. You might say, well, you know, um, whether I believe it or not, my actions will tell it. The answer is yes, it will. So if you believe something and you see yourself doing something opposite, you're not in congruence. You're, what you're saying and what you're doing are different. There's some delusion going on there. And you're thinking and you're acting are two different things. So you say, well, I believe it. I shouldn't do this, but you go ahead and do it. You don't believe you shouldn't do it. A belief is ingrained. It's a part of who you are. When we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, it should affect everything about your life. If it doesn't affect everything about your life, it's an idea. And that's a problem. big problem, because Jesus is not an idea. He's not a good thing to think about. He is a reality. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says this, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's your heart that tells you who you are. It's not your hand... It's not your eyeball that tells you who you are. It's your heart which causes the things, as Jesus says, "Out of the heart proceed all issues of men." And by heart, he means the seat of your emotions and your mind—what you think about, what you truly establish as your truth about you and your life. I got to tell you, though, when you think, you might think, "Well, your brain isn't that good." You know, some people say, I'm not very smart. You're smarter than you give yourself credit for it. You're a whole lot smarter than you give yourself credit for it. The average human being makes 10,000 decisions a day. You go, wait a minute. If that's 10,000 decisions, I, I, I used to argue this thing until I began to understand what a decision was. I used to argue that. See, i I don't think 10,000 choices are it didn't say that. Your brain makes 10,000 decisions a day. You don't always consciously make them. Your first decision is uh, snooze or no. That's a conscious kind of one. Once you get up, it's restroom or no. Sometimes it's restroom or I'm in trouble. Some of y'all might understand that. I've heard a lot of stories about that. Most of them are true about me. But I'll share them at a different place and time. But here's an example. I don't know about you, but I have a habit of putting my pants on one leg at a time. Okay. Oh, yeah. About you? You put your legs, pants on one leg at a time, or you just jump in? <laughs> Some people jump in. I, I can't do that. I, I got to, you know. And and I start with the right leg. Always. Always the right leg. Why? Because if I put the left leg in first, I think I'm done. <laughs> My brain thinks I'm done. It's going, okay, you put the left leg on, let's go do something with, with the other leg. Not in not yet. <laughs> you see how that works? Our brains are like that. They say, it's got to be done this way. If you put the left leg on first, we get, it feels funny. You know what I mean? Awkward. Yeah, awkward. Very awkward because our brain has, has to make a new decision that the other leg isn't in there yet. <laughs> You put the right leg in, the brain doesn't, you you don't go, well, I, what am I going to do next? Geez, I got the right foot in, you know, what am I going to pull them up? What am I going to do with the belt on or You know, tie them, zip them, what am I going to do? Your brain automatically helps you put the left leg in. It's a decision you don't make, but it's made. And how far are you pull them up? Your brain already knows. You say, oh, well, you know, everybody, no, they don't try looking at the kids and other people walking around their penis aren't pulled up. I agree with that. Little kids walk around their pants around their waist. They don't know it because they're kids. You know, you got to, hey, suddenly pull those pants up, your diapers are showing, you know? I won't go into adults who do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean diapers, I mean younger adults. But what I'm trying to say is, we have a thing and we decide to put the pants on. When we put the right leg in, the left leg is automatic. It just happens. Now what about y'all in the shower? Do you have a certain order you do things, or it's just whatever, whatever? <laughs> yeah. Got an order, don't you? I don't know about you, but the first thing I do, and my wife is completely the opposite, I pull the little nozzle out so I can feel the water coming out of the out of the spigot before it comes out of the thing up top. Yeah. My wife doesn't do that. She pushes it shut and makes it come out the top. I'm going, I can't do that. Doesn't fit, doesn't work. For years, I put my hand under there my elbow, whatever, to check the temperature before I pull the thing on the space because I don't want to burn this up and freeze. I don't like those feelings. My wife likes it hot, so she just kicks it on, pulls it up, and turns it on high. And she gets in. I'm not like that. So the first thing I do is I turn the water on and I put my hand under there and make sure it's warm. I don't even think about it. I just do it. But my brain has made four decisions in that moment. Let's shower. Let's pull the curtain back. Let's turn the water on. Let's make sure the spigot's pulled out. And let's make sure it's warm. That's fine. Well, now my brain says it takes 10 seconds for the cold water to become hot. And, yeah, that's weird, I know. But I know how long it's going to take. So I got how much time do I have to use the restroom, get the towel, and all this other stuff before the water's hot? Don't want to waste time. In the morning, if I run late, I need to even know how long before that water's the right temperature. 10 seconds. Of course, it takes another two seconds to pull the thing out, to put the water yeah. down in the spigot, and then to push it back in to get it out of the pot. And I've got to wait two seconds from the water to get up to the top and warm the pipes up enough so it's not cold. Because cold water hits those pipes. I've got it figured out, right? But So you get in the shower. Finally, you get in the shower, you've got to close the door, the curtain, whatever, and hold it to. You're not thinking about it, but you've already made five decisions. You're going to pull it. How far are you are going to pull it? You're going to make sure it's nice and sealed against the wall. Make sure drafts don't... Whatever you do there, you're doing it, and you're not thinking about it, but your brain has made all these decisions, right? It's doing it. It's already made a hundred decisions you didn't know it made. All you decided was just take a shower. <laughs> well, your baby was not born knowing any of that. You had to learn every bit of that. So you get in the shower. I don't know about you, but I get the squirt of shampoo in my hand and I do my hair first. Oh, wait a minute. Can't do that first. Got to wet my hair first. Got to make sure it's nice and wet. I don't want to shampoo dry hair. It just doesn't work. I don't use dry shampoo. So you understand, the first thing I do is I get the stuff in my hand after my hair's wet. And I... I'm not going through the whole shampoo. folks. This is first. And then I, and I rinse it yeah. And then I do it again. Yeah. Twice. Right? Yeah. Every time I shower. Twice. If I don't do it twice it feels funny. You forgot something. Because I know without thinking now it just happens. But if I get in the shower and per se my feet are muddy or my hands are muddy, I definitely don't want muddy hands in my hair. So the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna grab a bar of soap and wash my hands. Once I've washed my hands with the bar of soap, everything's all backward. Wait, a minute, I just grabbed the bar of soap, that's the last thing I do. I wash my body after I wash my hair. Wait a minute, why am I using the bar of soap? Okay, let's start So, wash the hair. And at the end, guess what I do? I wash my hands again. I wash them twice, even if I wash them to start, because I have to, it's a routine. You might say, well, you're a little bit obsessive-compulsive. No, I'm not. Our brains figure out one thing. It doesn't want to make extra decisions. It wants to go on automatic pilot. It wants to do that. So once you're in your routine, some people's morning routine is paper, coffee, check the news, check Facebook, whatever it is. And if you don't do some of that, it feels awkward. Our brain is programmed by routine because it doesn't want to make extra choices it says this is what we do when this happens and all these chain of events happen to get to this thing at the end at the end of the shower it's not I'm ready to put clothes on at the end of the shower I'm dressed and ready to go out the door so the shower is just a long step of get ready and here's here's another quirk how many of you put your clothes up before you get in the shower I've seen people in my family who get out of the shower, wrap the towel around and go, I ain't got anything to wear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure other people have done that. I don't do that. I'm sure trying to have something to wear before I get in the shower. I don't want to hunt up stuff. don't want to make that decision. And if I forget, like this morning, this is case in point. I have a two-piece suit on. I didn't need to lay it out. I knew it was hanging in the closet, so I said, I'll just do that. I'll grab that. Sure. After I put my shirt on. Exactly. Then I'll grab the pants off the hanger, then the <laughs> suit jacket. Got the, plan. got the plan. I had to make the plan because it was not the normal plan. The normal plan is laying out by the bed and I got the shirt on and the suit's next and I don't have to look for it. Oh. It's automatic. You just reach for what's next. But this time I had to go in the closet and get the suit. Ooh. And wouldn't you know, something happened. And this is so ironic. Went into the closet to get the suit jacket, the belt and the shoes, and I flipped the light switch and the light bulb blew. And here I said to myself, you know, if I'd have got that before the shower, I wouldn't have had to deal with a blown out light bulb with a shirt on and underwear. <laughs> my automatic brain said, there's something wrong with this picture. I should have just listened to it and brought it all out and not had to worry about a blown out light bulb trying to find myself in the dark. A dark seat, too. Yes. So you understand, when things get out of order, it feels funny. This is the brain engaging in what I call automatic thinking. It does it automatically so you don't have to decide every single day, do I want to put the left leg on with my pants? Do I want to pull them up? Do I want to buckle them? Do I want to zip them up? All those things become habit and routine And your brain is making these decisions without you. You're just doing it. When it gets out of order, it feels weird because it's no longer automatic. And what the brain does as you do these automatic things is it makes this little chain inside your mind that says, here's the start, there's the end, just start me, I'll take care of it for you. You don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to decide if it's good or bad, if it's ethical or the right time, or if anybody's going to be mad about it. Why? Because those are parts of things when you make decisions. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it the right time? Who's it going to help? Who's it going to hurt? These are all parts of decision making, and your brain doesn't want to overdo this thing. It's just putting clothes on it. So that's why it engages in what's called automatic thinking. It makes the pathway which bypasses moral, ethical, and time. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Which is why addiction can be so tough because once you go down that path, there's no moral cognition of it. You don't know whether it's smart or not, there's no ethical thought about it. There's no concept of time. You just do it because that's what your brain says time to do. And you do it until it's done. Go down on the path and you don't think, oh, <laughs> I didn't serve a whole bunch of people. You don't think that until it's over. Worst part about it is, you get into our routine and sometimes, and maybe you're like me, you'll wake up and do, do your routine, get ready to go out the door to work and go, like, oh, it's Saturday. And that's when you start thinking about it. I've already done all this and I don't have to go and be clear. Or when you do have to go somewhere and you're obligated to and you get ready and you get outside and it's snowing and they say, don't come into work and you go, well, this was all pointless. Why did I go through all this and not go to work? Why didn't I check the weather? Why didn't they call before I got in a shower? Why do I have to do this and rush through my morning just to get... We don't think about it that way. We do in automatic thinking, and think about why we did what we did afterward. In automatic thinking, we get to a point where we say something like this. I put my sock on, and it's a no-brainer. that I put the other one on next. It it is, it's a no-brainer. You don't have to think about it. That's what it's a no-brainer means. You don't have to think about it. That's another way to look at automatic thinking. Oh yeah, I start with the right sock. If I put the left sock on, my brain goes, uh, you're done. done. i walked around the house with one sock on before going, what? It's because I put the left sock on, but not the right one. And and my brain said, well, we're done. And I have to override its decision-making of it's done. End of the chain. Left sock. Sock job done. I have to make a new decision, and I have to tell my brain to put the other sock on. You know, what my brain thinks after I put my socks on, shoes. That's its next thought. And I put a left sock on first. I'm looking for my shoes, not my right sock. <laughs> it it just pops in there because that's what's next. And maybe yours isn't like that, but that's how the brain is wired to work. It's effective. It stops it from making all those decisions. You have to decide whether or not to put the other sock on. Those decisions shouldn't conflict and control your brain throughout the day of whether or not it's a good thing or not. It should be used for more important things like how you speak to people, what you do with your time, what you do with your um, family. Those things should have other considerations. It's what's familiar. Automatic thinking is what's familiar. Here's another way to look at it Does anybody here like to travel? What if you traveled somewhere and you wanted to the same place like what you were just at? Like a a a duplicate image of your home and your street and everybody around you traveling there you were, but it wasn't your home, but it looked like it. Would that feel like a good trip to you? No. Could've gone a thousand miles and wound up back home. That would be kinda weird, wouldn't it? Then you gotta leave and go back home to the same thing. The reason we like travel is it engages another part of our brain. Our home our life, when we walk out the door, it's the same street, same yard, same car in the drive unless it's a new one. Um, somebody else is parked there. Um, but all this stuff is familiar. It's automatically there. Our brain doesn't go, huh, wonder whose car that is. Wonder what street this is. It already knows. And if you have a pet, you don't go, what's that thing? you already know it's your dog. Your brain recognizes it. It doesn't have to decide it's a dog, whose dog it is, what kind of dog it is, how it's going to act. It already knows. It's made everything about that dog decision as soon as you look at it and know it's your dog. Do you understand? When you first meet somebody else's dog, you don't know any of that. But with your dog, the brain has already made all those decisions about that dog as soon as you see it. Wouldn't it be crazy to wake up every day and go wonder if that's my dog? (laughs) <laughs> Wouldn't it be crazy if you looked at it and said, I wonder if my dog likes me. wonder what kind of dog it is. I wonder if it is, has eaten yet. I wonder who's taking care of this. All this stuff you already know. It's familiar. So when you travel, it's a different street, it's a different road, different cars, different people, different uh, horizon different building. So what are you looking at? Everything's different. And so you've engaged a part of your brain that says, this is not familiar. I need to look at it and see what's different about it. See if it's good. See if I like it. And and what am I going to do with it? A lot of people take pictures of things and so they'll remember later and they'll go, oh man, I remember being there. Oh, it was so cool this. you know." And we'll talk about stuff that we have in our own community, but it's different there. <laughs> it's like when I went to Europe and I came back, I noticed how dirty our roads are with the oil slick where the car goes. Mm-hmm. In Europe, that's not there. It's perfectly clean road all the time. What? They don't allow leaky oil in your cars in Europe, especially Germany. Every car has to run perfectly mechanically or it's not allowed on the road. No drips, no leaks, no faults, no errors. Why? Because you're on the Autobahn or you go 150 miles an hour. You think they want a car that's dangerous there? No way. So their sides of the road are immaculate. There is no garbage. And so when I came back to our country, all of a sudden I noticed how messy our country is. And, and I started comparing how much better to, you know, and prettier and all this other stuff for a while. Why? Because I noticed the differences. For a while, this was just normal. Children were born, no matter what level of income or poverty or wealth that they are born into, it's normal for them. I had six older sisters. I thought everybody had sisters. My family went to church. I thought everybody went to church. I had all these different things that I grew up with that I thought were normal for everybody. And do you understand that is not true that what is normal for you is normal for anybody else? Well, I had six sisters, and every one of them had a brother. But I didn't have a brother. Figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Your brain likes familiar to survive. It likes to have comfort. Stress happens when the familiar changes. Now you say, what do you mean? The thing about the shower and the shoes and the socks and all that is it feels awkward. But if it was a major problem, it doesn't feel awkward, it creates stress. I got to start over in the shower. That's, a, that's not stressful, but what if it was? <laughs> I can't believe I forgot which was first, and now I'm panicky. And so it is in people who have mental illness and other things like that, and their routine gets messed up, they don't know how to handle what's not familiar stress. We get changes in the world around us, in our country, politics, all this other changes and we don't know what it's all about, we're trying to figure it out, and we're unstable. It's new. But some new we did not ask for. Some new thrust upon us, and that's what creates stress for us. These are the things that are very uncomfortable. There's one thing that causes people stress that I, I kind of find amazing, and that is to win the lottery. Did you know that causes people more stress than to not win it? You think about it. People who have won the lottery wind up bankrupt and in debt within, within an average of three to five years. Yep. Ninety percent. And I couldn't figure out why this is and I began to think about it. And, and here's how it works. If you were given a large sum of money What's the first thing you would do with it? Would your first act be to help somebody less fortunate or tithe to the church? Or was it about you and what you want and your comfort and to relieve your stress? You see how that works? Our minds go immediately, money, answer to problems. But people who understand money as a tool say, money, how do I make it work to do what I want it to do? People who don't understand money as a tool often don't have it. Or not very much. And they go through it very quickly. Would you be more excited that you could bless somebody with all that money? Or would you want to go out and buy that something, something you've been looking for a while, had your eye on? Or maybe get out of debt pay some bills. That to me, that's a great thing. But that's personal. That's not outside me. That again is my brain trying to alleviate the familiar that causes stress, that might bring it happiness. A lot of people think money is for spending. The wealthy see it as a tool to make more. Depression-era people, including uh, my grandparents and parents, saw that money was scarce and it needed to be saved. They were frugal. They had to be or they were going to die. They don't lose that. They, they saw money differently. And a few of them still around to tell you, depression was tough and you just don't know. And here Jesus says to us, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your eyes causing you stress, it's because something is not normal anymore with what you see. Your world has changed a little bit. Something new has entered into the picture and you don't know how to handle it. If it can actually cause you to sin by your eyeball, that's a great idea. But I think Jesus knew something about how our mind works when he said that. He knows that your eye is a part of your body. He also knows that your body does not dictate what you do. It's what you believe. That dictates what you do. If you're hungry, you're going to make a choice to eat or to not eat. If if you have food available. Your stomach is not causing the direct action of eating. It just lets you know. It can't grab the food and put it in there. You know what I mean? It is an indirect action of hunger because it tells the brain, I have pain. The brain makes a decision. It interprets that decision of pain as being hunger decides to eat or not to eat based on a set of principles or beliefs that run your life. If you're fasting, you're not going to eat. If you're trying to lose weight, you may delay eating or choose to eat something different than what's in front of you. The stomach does not cause the action of eating. It's the decision That's based on what the stomach's telling your brain that's going on in your body, that your brain must make a choice about what to do. If you have struggles with food, it's I'm hungry, I'm eating, that's in the story. Automatic thinking. Not deciding if it's good or bad, I'm hungry, I'm eating. That's where a lot of the problem comes in our society because things are easily accessible. Does that make sense? The other thing I want to share with you is your eye does not cause the action of sin. Mm-hmm. Your eyeball only, is only, it's a tool. <laughs> it's a thing in your head that causes you to be able to see stuff. Yeah, your brain tells you how to look at Your eye does not make you look at certain things. What you look at is very good at. It will help you focus on it. It will help you see it clearly. It'll do what you ask it to do, but it will not tell you what it should do, and it will never tell you what you should do because it cannot. That's why Jesus says, "If your eye right, can do that, get rid of it." Now let's look at the bigger picture. Okay? If there is something in your life that is causing you to sin, pluck it out of you. And the only thing you can do is what you believe, what you think or what you feel. Those three things you control by what you think about, by what you dwell on, by what you consider. (coughs) Some people say, well, you know, I don't want to do certain things about God. I don't want to tell people about Jesus because I'll feel judged. Um, Well, some people, I don't know how this works. But some people in the same situation feel motivated because they want people to understand. And the harder someone says no, I don't want Jesus, the more they want to share. Some people are motivated the other way. But some of us are afraid we're going to get criticized and ostracized. But the Gideon's been doing their ministry for a long time, and they're still saying the word of God is necessary, and their message hasn't changed because they believe it's valuable, because it makes a difference.
1: And I hold yes on what
0: they do. I agree. The Word of God changes lives if it's in the hands of someone who will read it. You see, when you begin to think about something, there is an idea that is familiar of what's next. Now, if I tell someone you know, they're going their life away, they need to get saved, they may not like me. You already have an idea of what's next. If you have this idea, a different idea, you know, if I tell them about they need Jesus, they're going to die without Him, they might get saved. I might leave into to Jesus. If you have that thought, the whole thought process changes. Why? Because in your mind, you're now making a choice of if doing it is based on what's right or based on what's comfortable. (coughs) The brain chooses comfort. It doesn't want to make decisions. It wants to just have an easy path of what's easy. But that's where belief and principles change what you do. It makes you uncomfortable. Here's what's neat. It puts you in a new place. So if you like traveling, here's something new. An uncomfortable feeling. You gotta figure out what to do with it. I'm now someone's now asking me about Jesus. What, what am I gonna say? I remember the first time someone came to the altar at a church I was preaching at and said, I want to give my life to Christ, and I said, I forgot to study up how to do this. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? And I'm thinking and going, "Uh, what am I doing? What am I going to do? And I got scared. And I said, well, let's pray. And I said, do you love Jesus? he said, yeah, tell him. Are you you upset about your life and you want to change? Yeah. Tell him. (laughs) That's what I was doing because I didn't know what else to do. And I led him to Christ. And he got up and he said, I'm a changed man. Do you think it's because of how I pray? No. It's because Jesus Christ was effective in his life. And you can't stop the work of God once it starts. When you begin the process and see God working, he'll do the rest. You just watch. That's what's neat about evangelism and so awesome is people are hungry and desperate for it. They just don't know because they're on automatic thinking. You have to give them something new. The idea of what happens next is predictable. That you already know. Because you've been there before. And you've never done it any other way before. It needs to go. You see, you've never had this moment in your life before, right now. And you've never had this day before. And I don't mean a warm day in February. I mean this particular day. Nobody has had this day. You cannot tell me what this day holds in store for you because you've never been there. You can tell me what you expect, what your plans are, what you think you're going to do, but that's because you have an idea in your mind what's next. Here's what God says. Every morning, there are new mercies. Because every morning is a different day. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says a few words that I want to share with you. Beginning in verse 21. It says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Every morning you wake up, God's saying, You get another day. I'm not holding my wrath out on you. I'm offering you grace again. Grace in a different way. Great is your faithfulness. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This new thing. This is what I'm talking about. We like to travel and see new stuff. We want to see a new movie instead of the same old movie we've seen four or five times to see what happens next. It's new. We want that. Why? Because the routine and familiar leads to stress. New leads to challenge leads to being invigorated and in seeing life is open again. I like to see new places. I like to come home from them for a good reason. And you'll understand right now why this is so. Have you ever gone on vacation and it felt good to get back home? Do you know why? Because your brain has made thousands extra decisions on all the environment around you. What you're doing, where you're going, how you get home, it's familiar. Brain's on the same thing, check, check, check. I don't have to decide anymore. I'm just going back to automatic. I can rest. We're tired from vacation because our brain is tired of making choices and seeing things and looking at and doing and observing. Scientists do research. You know why they do research? Research means to search again at the same thing, but in a different way. God is asking us to search our hearts, to research them and see what God is doing there and see if He isn't doing something new. I know He is. Today is brand new. This moment is brand new. So lose your expectations of what happens next make your mind start to work and see it as brand new stuff. You see, the idea of failure is in your mind. So is the idea of success, if it's there. So are anxious thoughts in your mind, but so is hope. You can start every moment like it's a brand new one, including this moment. The phrase, it never worked before, so why try handicaps you today? I venture to say that in a few minutes we're all going to leave. We're gonna go outside, go home wherever we're going. And whatever you're going to do there, you kind of got an idea. But along the way, you may pass other people in cars. You may see people outside playing. And some people are going to look at people and have different thoughts. But did you ever think, God, are there anybody around me, from this moment forward, that you're trying to show me, that I put in the background of the familiar? God, are you trying to call me out of the background scenery of my life and into it as a new experience? God, what do you have new for me today? What do you want me to do today that's new? How do you want me to be challenged by your grace? Where's your mercies for me today? The same old same old is comfortable. But one day, in the twinkling of an eye, the, the same old same will be gone. Here's how I want to break this down to you, and this is what kind of led me to all this. This week Thursday, they call in Willie's family. And uh, went to the hospital. And um, they're gathering around, grieving, singing, and I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, it's a good thing Willie knows Jesus. It's a good thing he belongs to Him, because there's nothing that man can do in that state to say, I can, I, I got this, I can control this. This is normal. I'm in control. I'll handle it. Whatever. All that pride is gone. It's in God's hands. Every last thing. And there's not a person in that room that could change that. And if that's familiar to you, that there's nothing you can do that only God can, you're living in the right place. But if you're living in a place where I can control this, I can make things happen, it's okay, I'll do whatever I want, I'll do what I want, and not consider that one day you're going to be sitting in a hospital bed or laying there saying, God, I wish I could have just acknowledged you earlier. I can't do anything now. I'm broken. All of a sudden, things thing's brand new, and your brain doesn't know how to handle it because you never approached the throne before. God wants you to know that His love for you is infinite. There is nothing old it's so vast that every time you call on God there's something new He can show you. Some area of your life that He can open up to grace and mercy. But we walk around thinking that our life is what we see, what we feel, and what we think without ever considering that there's a God beyond that saying, you're missing the big picture. If your hands causing you to do that, you better cut it off. If your eyeballs causing you to miss the big picture, you better pluck it out. But I promise you, it is your taking and your brain stuck in automatic. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. It's ironic to me that something as simple as putting a pair of pants on her socks can create dysfunction can create uncertainty but the fact of the matter is the simple things reflect the big things and when the big things come along and they're an uncertainty and they're out of order the stress comes in and we don't know how to bring it back to normal anymore and God that's when we start saying that point of desperation God you have fix this I can't do it. So what I'm asking this morning, you open our eyes to what you're trying to do in our lives, and shake us up,